Hey guys, this is Drake. Thanks so much for tuning in to our City Church podcast here. It's an honor to have you. Hey, at the end of this episode, we'd love for you to take a moment, subscribe to this podcast channel if you haven't already. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel so we can continue to serve you with content that we're putting out on a weekly basis. And in addition, if we can serve you in any way or connect with you in community in any way, you can visit our website at citychurchboulder.com and we would love to connect with you there. And lastly, and most importantly, I hope this content is helpful to you. It's encouraging, it's inspiring, and you leave better than you showed up. Enjoy. Hey guys, welcome to City Church Online. It's such a joy to have you tuning in with us this week as we go into week six of our series, Love First. So let me kick off by asking you a question. What do you think is the number one barrier to a healthy soul? What do you think is the number one barrier to a healthy soul? And, and because our soul affects everything, I mean, you could apply this to, to multiple arenas. What do you think the, the number one barrier is to like healthy spirituality and, and, and a healthy emotional life and healthy physical life and healthy mental capacity? Like, what do you think is the number one barrier to those realities? And let's not leave it there. Let's like move the barrier a little bit uh, because I realize you could be tuning in on all kinds of different levels of your spiritual journey today. So I don't know where you're tuning in and where you are when it comes to the conversation around Jesus and church and following him and all those pieces. But, but let's talk about it. Like, what do you think are some of the barriers to people who are like spiritually interested, but not, not really sure where they land yet? They're kind of in the like religiously categorical none, right? They, they don't really have any identifier right now. Uh, not, not super interested, not super motivated, but like still maybe a little bit. What do you think is the number one barrier for them? Or like someone who's walked away from church, maybe they like grew up around it and, and they like walked away from it. And you know, what's the barrier for them of like maybe re-engaging or, or giving it a second chance or, or thinking about it at all? What do you think the number one barrier is to emotionally, spiritually, mentally, physically healthy lives? What's the number one barrier to a healthy soul? I think that the number one barrier that you and I are struggling with today, no matter where you are on your spiritual journey, is the barrier of distraction. And specifically when it comes to the mediums of, of noise and busyness, especially in our Western culture. C.S. Lewis uh, is an incredible author. He, he wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters. And the whole context is being written from like, like a, a senior demon writing to a younger demon about how, how he's influencing this one individual and how to keep this guy away from a, a relationship with God and away from cultivating a relationship with God. And part of the tactics, part of the senior demon's advice to the younger one, to the, to the underling, if you will, is, hey, make sure you fill his life with busyness and distraction and hurry. And he's says it could be big or small. It doesn't really matter as long as he's preoccupied. That's going to keep him away from even considering a relationship with God or thinking about it. Let me ask you a question. Do you, do you remember like being bored when you were younger? I, I mean, I mean, like really bored. Like, like if you were in my generation, or, or if you're older than me, maybe if you're if you're younger than me, you you wouldn't know this. But there was a, there was a time when like real boredom set in. Like, like there was no device to grab to occupy your time. There was there was nothing on TV. I don't know if you knew this, by the way. But once upon a time, uh, um, th- there were no streaming services, and so like if you wanted to watch your favorite TV show, you had to like wait for it to come on. I know how, how crazy and bizarre is that, right? There was like real live boredom. And, and so the, you started to look for things to do. And so what you would do, you would call your friends, um, but you didn't have a cell phone. So you couldn't text them. You couldn't check in. You had to pick up what's called a landline. I know it's crazy. And, and, and you'd have to call someone else's house who also had a landline and see if they were home. Now, the problem is if, if someone was on, the, was on the internet in their house, this is back in the day where they had this thing called dial-up. And so you call them and you get this like, 
all these weird, that was really strange and uh, embarrassing, but you got that. That's exactly what it sounded like from my childhood memory. And so you have these like dial tone moments, right, of like, oh man, someone's on the computer. And so then if you were like me, you'd hop on your bicycle and I had a couple friends who lived on my street and so you just ride down to their house and go knock on the door and see if anybody's home or if, if, if your friend is home and nine times out of 10, they weren't. And then if you were really desperate and really bored, you would, drive, you would, you would get on your bike because you couldn't drive. And I had one friend who lived two miles away, which is a long way on a bicycle, right? And so you'd ride your little huffy all the way to your friend's house and, and, and then you get there, knock on the door only to find out that they weren't home, right? That was like real boredom growing up. You and I don't struggle with that anymore, right? Humanity has evolved. And not just like in the mental capacity, right? I think like our bodies are evolving. We now have these grown appendages called smartphones, right? They just like don't seem like they're just extensions of the self now. And they are constantly in the way. There is this constant fight for our attention. I don't know if you knew this, but the goldfish comes in with a whopping nine-second attention span, which is pretty impressive for a goldfish, right? I mean, I mean, just if we're counting. But you and I roll in, this is amazing, you and I roll in at an amazing eight-second attention span. Some of you are like, huh? Right, because you all, I already lost you, right? Come back, come back, right here, right here. All right, so you and I are competing with goldfish when it comes to our attention span, right? We're in trouble. we got a lot of distraction in our lives. And so when it comes to this challenge, we have such a busy culture that we don't even have time to focus on health. And, and for the record, there's a busyness, there's like a, a fullness to life that, that's good, right? Like some people have full lives that are full of meaning and purpose. It's full in all the right ways, but that's not normally you and I, right? Jesus um, gives us kind of insight into what it looks like to have a healthy soul. Let me show you, Matthew 22. Jesus helps us understand a little bit of like what it looks like to have a healthy soul by saying, hey, here's the deal, guys. You focus on these two things, and you don't have to worry about anything else. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, because this is the great and first commandment. Jesus says the first thing. He says, hey, listen. But by the way, this is not an invitation to like try to love God more. This is not an invitation to like show God how much you love him by the stuff that you do. This is an invitation actually to receive the love of God. This is an invitation to actually respond to the love of God. This is an invitation to love God because he actually first loved you. Jesus is inviting us into a relationship with God that, is, that has the proper motive. And then he says the overflow is this. The second thing is equally important and it's to love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands, he says, listen, just... Get rid of every self-help book that you think you've ever thought you needed because this is all you need to love God and people. Get rid of the rules because loving God and people solves it all. It is the target and the goal. You know the problem with this invitation to a healthy soul? The problem with love is that it is painfully (laughs) time-consuming, right? You know this because if you've ever tried to cultivate a relationship, it takes what? T-I-M-E. And, and, and you've seen love exit the door because you've been in a hurry, right? If you've got little kids and, and you're trying to get your family out the door and everybody's in a hurry and you're running late, let me ask you, where, where's your love level? Are you like just the most loving, peaceful, joyful, amazing, kindest person rushing out the door? Right? Odds are love leaves when hurry is present, Right? Hurry and love are not compatible. And that's true for our relationships physically, and it's, our tr- it's our true with our relationship with God. It's funny. I-, I don't know if you've ever heard it called this, but a lot of times we refer to our relationship with God as walking with God. Right? It's, it's, it's a walk with God, not running with God. You ever notice that? Because it's not in a hurry. But what do we do? We hurry anyway. 
Because part of the problem is we've been so trained to understand that anything slow is bad, right? Our entire culture has taught us to, to just reject anything slow. And you know this, right? Because there's nothing celebrated in our culture that's slow. I can't think of anything off the top of my head that is celebrated for being slow. Like, oh man, I got the slowest internet package. I'm paying $120 a month for it and it is amazing. Man, I just got this brand new iPad Pro and it is so slow. I love to watch that little wheel spin. It's just like my favorite thing. Or like, oh man, traffic was so slow the other day. It took me like an extra hour to get home and I was just so rested and at peace. I mean, man, it was this movie, the plot line is so slow and boring. I am so loving it, right? We don't talk like that, right? We, we even insult people with this word by calling them slow, right? I mean, it's not a good thing. And so we reject that idea and we keep grinding, right? We just like pedal to the metal, 110% accumulation of stuff, pursuit of more over and over again. It's just more and more and more. And we keep filling it up to the point we start to get exhausted and then we start medicating and caffeinating and looking for quick fixes and we're too busy to eat well and so then we fill it with junk and we we got all these things competing. And and then all of a sudden, your, your soul gets in a funk. You ever been there? Like your soul is in a funk and you're like not well and you're kind of spewing some ugly stuff around people, right? And, and then have you, ever, have you ever had a moment where like you, you finally catch up and get some good sleep, like, like a full like eight hours or whatever, you get to sleep in? Have you ever got a good night's sleep and then still woke up exhausted? You know why that is? It's because fundamentally you and I are having issues at the soul level and it affects everything else. And, and so we start to spiral with emotional and mental and physical and spiritual health issues. And then, and then what, what does our world do? How do, how do we respond to this spiral of unhealthiness? Watch this video. We'll go out for pineapple, my little boobly-headed boobly boo. Skipper, look. Analysis. It looks like a small incandescent bulb designed to indicate something out of the ordinary, like a malfunction. I find it pretty and somewhat hypnotic. That too, sir. Right. Rico. Manual. Mm-hmm. Problemo solved. Oh, okay, so, so th- that's the response, right? It's like any time th- there's these warning signals, my, I'm unhealthy, I'm gaining weight, my mental issues are increasing, I'm emotionally unaware, my spiritual life is in, in the gutter, what do we do? Just stuff it and keep grinding, right? More caffeine, maybe a beer on a Friday night, binge watch something just to get a little bit of release, and then here's the deal, is, is ironically, our culture is catching up with this, right? There's like studies coming out about the dangers of all of these things and how bad this is for our soul and the pace of life that we're living. And so you, we're slowly starting to, to see in our culture studies that are reflecting, I think, what we know intuitively in our soul already. Um, but the, the problem with it is, is that our, our culture is inviting us into... Um, I think what you would call maybe a practice of mindfulness. Have you heard that floating around, right? There's just like, hey, quiet the noise, embrace mindfulness, right? It's kind of where our culture's moving. And listen, for the record, I think mindfulness is awesome. Like mindfulness is a great practice, but I think it's missing one really key ingredient. It's missing, quite frankly, the best part, and that's Jesus. Like, like Jesus is, is a complement to that, right? Mindfulness is, is just spirituality without Jesus. And so I think Jesus has something way better for us than you're going to find in the Barnes & Noble self-help section. And so Jesus had the secret sauce. Think, let's think about Jesus for just a minute. Jesus always operated at like a cool three miles an hour. You notice that? Like he's never in a hurry. He's not like bending to the opinions of others. He's not even operating out of like what's the most logical thing to do in the moment. He had this like centeredness to himself. 
himself. And for the record, his life was really full, right? It wasn't like he was hiding in a cave somewhere, floating on a cloud, doing nothing. He had a really full life, but it was full in all the right ways. Have you noticed that? Like, it wasn't a stress-free life, but rather it was a life full of purpose and meaning. It was a life connected to his love of God and neighbor. Jesus had this secret sauce, and you might ask the question, well, what was it? Well, it, it, it wasn't that he was God. That might be where you go to. It's like, well, of course, Jesus had a stress-free, purposeful life, whatever. He was God. Yeah, but Philippians 1 tells us that Jesus, while being God, limited his divine attributes to be like us. And so you don't get to play the God card when it comes to learning from Jesus. Let me show you the secret sauce that we see from Jesus in Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, verse 35, it says that rising very early, this is the routine of Jesus' life, in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed over and over again. The pattern of Jesus' life is that he would withdraw to a place called the Aramos in the Greek. It's this desert place. It's this alone place. It's, it's this getting alone and getting quiet. But you've got to ask the question, what was Jesus doing in that alone place, that quiet place, he would get alone to be with God and listen to God. Let, let, let me give you context, right? This is Mark 135. Context to this passage right here is this is the end of a really, really full, busy day for Jesus. In fact, this is the end of his first like full-time gig as like Messiah on the planet. I mean, he's, just, he's coming out of, the, out of the gates and ready to roll, and it's an awesome day, and he dips into the Aramos, the desert place, to recharge his soul. But right before this, what you need to know is that Jesus was baptized, and, and as he's being baptized, he comes up out of the water, and, and a voice comes from heaven saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. You need to notice, by the way, Jesus is baptized, and this speaks to his identity. Like before Jesus ever did anything, this is about who he was. And out of his identity is going to flow all of what we see later in his life. Now, here's what's amazing. When Jesus is baptized, you might ask the question, why was Jesus baptized? It wasn't Jesus was declaring not only that he, did he come to do this for you and I, not only did he come to give his life in our place for our sins, to, to die, to be buried, to rise again, to forgive us and set us free and make us right with God, right? Like, not only did he come to do that, he said, hey, I didn't just come to do it for you, but I came to do it with you. And right after Jesus is baptized, check out what happens. This is right before the passage we just looked at. It says that the Spirit of God immediately drives Jesus out into the wilderness. It's the same word, Aramos. And he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan, being tempted by the devil. And so Jesus goes into the Aramos, that quiet place, the wilderness, for a month and a half before he does anything. And you and I probably think, man, he's in there 40 days. I mean, he's hungry, he's tired, and the devil shows up like a punk at the end of it, and he's like going to tempt him. That's just like the devil, right, to get us when we're down. Listen, I think you and I tend to look at this, and we think of the Aramos this time as, as a place of weakness. But for Jesus, this is actually a place of strength. It's 40 days before he does anything for God. He is with God. And right after this, man, you can go check it out for yourself. Jesus rolls in, first day on the job. I mean, he is preaching. He is teaching. He is healing the sick. He's casting out demons. I mean, it is an epic first day as, as son of God on the job. And then we go back to Mark 135, and what happens? He goes right back to the Aramos. Listen, don't miss this. For Jesus, what was his secret sauce? He has a month and a half in the Aramos, the quiet place with God. He has one day on the job just crushing it as the Son of God, as the Messiah, as the one come to connect us back in relationship with God. And then after one day, he dips right back into the Aramos. 
You're like, dude, I thought you were going to be supercharged for a little while longer than that, right? No, this was such a priority for Jesus that he would continually go back. So let's talk about the Ramos for just a second. Every time we see Jesus go into the quiet place, he always comes out with clarity around his identity and his calling. Let me ask you a question right now, just your life, your nine to five, grinding through the week. How's the clarity around your calling, your purpose, your passion? Like, are you just staying above the water? Or are you, I mean, just so purposefully driven that you have tons of peace around where you are, right? Jesus would come out of his time with God with a clear yes and a clear no. He knew what he was supposed to be giving his time to. And, and, and eventually, th- this idea, this, this quiet place, it would, it would become known as this practice, this spiritual discipline of, of what's called silence and solitude. Jesus would get alone in silence. Let me ask you a question. How much noise you got going on in your life? Like a ton, right? Well, we always got something going on in the background. You would get alone, and he would cultivate an internal and external silence. And then he would cultivate solitude, right? Not isolation, not like only in a cave for 40 days, but rather solitude to be alone with God so he could listen. Here's the deal. Jesus invites us over and over again. He says, come abide with me. That word means to make our home with him. Jesus is inviting our souls. He says, listen, man, your souls are spiraling out of control. Let your soul come home. Come abide with me. Let your soul catch up to your body. And listen, here's, here's the deal. When we start to embrace the aramos, when we find that quiet place to spend time with God, when we start to elevate a relationship with God, we get into that quiet place. You know what happens? We start to leak all of the, the good and the bad and the ugly, right? You ever just been in the still and the quiet and the silence? It kind of gets weird, right? And what happens is all, we start to be confronted with all the things we're ignoring, get in that quiet place and all the good and the bad and the ugly come out. And you know what happens? We start to leak that stuff, but we're leaking it in a safe space with the God who loves us. Because you know what the other option is? When you and I don't have a, have a place to take all the septic stuff going on in our soul, we spill it all over everyone that we love, right? What's the byproduct of distraction and hurry and busyness in your life? You're just spewing toxicity over everyone that you love, even if you don't want to or mean to. Jesus said, listen, You don't just need a beer on a Friday night and a Netflix binge in order to deal with what's going on in your soul. What you need is time with me. Come spill that stuff on me. And what's amazing is it's not just about dealing with what's going on inside, but we start to get his perspective and his opinion of us. His love starts to set the tone for our identity. Again, not what we do, but who we are, who he says that we are. And we start to become free to be us, who God uniquely made us to be. And listen, in that process, we get alone with God. We're still a mixed bag, right? We still got all kinds of stuff going on. We're not perfect, but we find a place where our, home, our souls are at rest. Our souls have a home. So here's what's at stake. There's a danger, guys. If, if we don't deal with this, we live in a culture where the pace of hurry and distraction is so high. John Mark Homer says it this way. He says that we are headed for emotional and spiritual oblivion. He wrote a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, and I mean, I, I can't give it all to you today, but I highly recommend you pick up this book and take some time to process what's going on in your soul. And here's what happens, guys. If we don't take the time to deal with this reality, we're going to continue to lose our identity. We're going to continue to fall victim to the urgent over the important. We're going to lose our kids and our marriages and our identity and our health mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. We're going to keep settling for cheap fixes and keep being robbed of all that God has for us. 
and you and I are going to operate out of this spiritually, emotionally unhealthy place, and we're just going to continue to spew all of that septic stuff over everybody else rather than finding healing for our souls with Jesus. And so here's the deal. Jesus had that secret sauce of getting alone with God. And I just want to give you just five quick things on what that time looked like from Mark 135, okay? So make sure you get a pen and paper ready because we're going to roll through it right, right now. Mark 135, let me show you. Rising very early in the morning, right? This is the same passage. While it was still dark, Jesus departed and went out to a desolate place. And there you put it. I'm going to look at five words. Just we're going to dissect it together, okay? The first word is this, rising. Right? It just means that he got up, right? This word is in the active tense, not passive. What that means is no one got Jesus up. Hey, it's time to spend time with God. This was intentional, you with me? He would rise up. It was intentional. He had a plan. It was done on purpose. Let me ask you a question. Are you intentional with your relationship with God, or is it something that you do when you have time? Here's the deal. I don't, I don't know where you are on your spiritual journey, and so I want you to evaluate it based on where you are, but you are as close to God right now as you want to be. You are as close to God right now as you choose to be. Have you ever looked at somebody and, and looked at their spiritual life, and you're like, man, I, I just want to be like them. I want to be close to God like that. And the reality is you can be. The only difference is how intentional you are. There's no spiritually elite. God isn't hiding from you. You can be as close to him as you and I want to be. The first thing Jesus was is that he was intentional. The second thing we see, the second word is that he would get up in the morning. In the morning. The Greek word that's being reflected right here literally means in the morning. Suck, right? You're like, you were hoping it was something else, like, you know, morning, like 12 o'clock-ish, right? <laughs> like, in the morning. Here's the deal. Listen, I'm not saying that you can only spend time with God in the morning. I'm not, Jesus, uh, we, we see a pattern of, of just, man, constantly him prioritizing it. But here's the deal. You and I need to be sure that the time that we're giving to our relationship with God is priority time and not leftover time. I do think there's something to be said for in the morning. I, I find that my soul finds the best rest, the best reset, the best fullness for my day when I start in the morning. But again, I don't think it's exclusive. I don't think it's all or nothing in that manner. But Jesus set the model that we must fix our hearts on God daily. Right? And, and it's Valentine's Day last week, so I can use this. Right, Our culture would, would say things like, hey, just follow your heart. And, you know, we're going to deal with the emotions and all of that stuff. But listen, that's terrible advice. Every time I follow my heart, it gets me in trouble, <laughs> right? Jeremiah 17, 9 says that my heart is deceitfully wicked above everything else. I can't trust my heart. It, it doesn't have a clue what's going on. I don't need to trust my heart. It lies to me all the time. The reality is I need to let God capture my heart and him direct my heart. Vance Pittman says it this way. If you and I don't fix our hearts on God the first thing every day, then they will inevitably fix themselves on the first thing they come across. Think about it. How many times have you rolled out of bed and picked up your phone and let a text message set the tone or a news article or an email? Our hearts are going to latch onto the first thing. So when it comes to spiritual, emotional, mental, physical health, it's going to rise and fall when it comes to our relationship with God, our time with God. Guys, listen, I got a lot of junk. Honestly, if you know all the stuff that was inside of me, if you could just LED screen my heart and see all the junk that I deal with, you might not ever listen to another word I have to say. Right? I'm jacked up. But man, the days that I let God capture my heart, it changes everything. And here's the deal. Listen, my God time, my, my time with God in the Aramos, whatever that is for me and for you, it, it's not like eliminating the battle. It's preparing me for the battle. It prepares me for the day ahead. Uh, and here, here's the deal. 
everything, every time, every time. I've had so many conversations over the last two weeks of people that are like spending tons of time with God and we're in this fast and it's going amazing and we have all this amazing stuff happening because we're prioritizing and spending time with God. Every time I spend time with God and I show up full of Jesus, everything is better. And every time I show up full of myself, everything is worse. You know that. This is the invitation. The third word is that he departed. He departed. You got to ask the question, he departed from what? Everything, (laughs) right? Everything. He got away from everything. This word means without distraction. Jesus would spend time with God without distraction. Uh, Henry Blackaby says it this way, the most harmful enemy to our devotion is distraction. Let me ask you a question. What distracts you from being alone with God? It's probably that appendage hanging out in your pocket that ends up in both hands and in front of your face over and over again. There's a lot of things. But you know what I have to do? Listen, I got to sit my phone downstairs, put it on silent mode, and not touch it until after I spent time with God. Because even when I try to use it as a tool, even with the Bible app on my phone, I will inevitably look at an email, check a text, whatever. I got to either put it on silent or airplane mode or whatever, or just don't touch it until I spent time with God. Right, because there's all of these distractions in place. And uh, guys, listen, sometimes even without my phone, my brain is all over the place. I don't know about you, but like my brain, it can just be anywhere but present in the moment. And sometimes I don't even want to be there, right? Sometimes my soul is just so all over. I don't even want to be present. So I've got to make myself show up and make myself focus because I know it's good for me. And I know it's good for the relationship. And the next word we see is that he would go out to a, a desolate Place, right? There's a huge difference between being isolated and being secluded. The idea of, being, of the desolate place is that he's alone. Right? He's alone with God. So, for example, you're tuning in on, on, online right now. This is great. Like, we love to gather on the weekends. It's amazing. We love to gather. But those things aren't substitutes. Right? If you're a part of a city group, that's amazing. But that's not a substitute to being alone with God. Listen to me. The best thing that you can do is to show up in every environment that you're in, whether it's a city group or, or a weekend gathering or on your couch or wherever you are, the best thing you can do is to show up full of Jesus because when you do that, you're going to love and you're going to serve and you're going to give and everyone's going to be better. The best thing you can do for your family, the best thing you can do for your marriage, for your work relationships, for your neighbors is to show up full of Jesus and you're only going to do that out of the Aramos to let him capture your heart daily. And the last thing we see going back to the word rising, is that not only did Jesus get up, not only was he active in his approach to his relationship with God, but this, this, this word here is actually an aorist participle. What that means is that this is a pre-existing routine for Jesus. This is not just something he did after a long day. This is something that he did consistently, that he would rise consistently to spend time with God. Luke tells us that he would do it often. He uses the word of Jesus doing this often. So let me ask you a question. How many of us understand that that like one good workout doesn't change much, right? Just like one hit of the gym a month doesn't do much for you, right? One good salad doesn't do much for your diet. One good date night a year doesn't do much for your marriage, right? In the same way, it's it's a consistent relationship, like not, not one devotional a week, expecting to last off the fumes all week. It's a consistent investment in the relationship. Anything that's healthy and anything that's growing has consistent investment. So let me ask you a question. Which of these five areas are you struggling with? Do you struggle to be intentional? Do you struggle to do it in the morning, to make it a priority, 
to give him your first and your best? Do you struggle to do it without distraction? Do you struggle to be alone? Do you struggle to be consistent? Listen, we have city groups and community around you for the very purpose of allowing you a space to be held accountable, to have the encouragement you need to cultivate and make the priority of not letting your soul just spiral out of control. That the simple invitation of Jesus was was to spend time with God daily. Out of that space, out of the aremos, everything found its purpose. Out of the aremos, everything found its place. So let me, let me give you this. Let me, let me give you just, just a God time plan. You might even screenshot this next screen here. Your God time plan. What's the plan? When are you going to do it? Where are you going to do it? What, what do you need when you show up? You got your Bible, you got your journal, you got some worship music playing in the background. How, how will you begin? It's so important how you start. Start. Leave your phone somewhere else. Leave it downstairs. Don't even touch it until you spend time with God. How, how are you going to keep yourself free from distraction? Airplane mode, isolation, wherever you got to be to be quiet and alone. And lastly, where are you reading in the Bible? So that you can hear from God, so He can speak into your soul. Listen, I don't know where you are on your spiritual journey today, but God loves you. Jesus died for you. He rose again, proving that he was who he said he was to give you access to a relationship with God. To, to, to forgive you of all the, all the septic stuff going on in your soul, all of your not perfectness, and to make you right with God. Some of you have been walking with Jesus for a minute, but that relationship, it ebbs and flows, it's shaky. Some of you have never made a decision to trust in Jesus, and you needed to make that step today. And remember, listen, listen, this is not about... 15 minutes a day and, and making sure I do it and checking a list. This is about a very clear invitation. The relationship is the goal. So no matter where you are on your spiritual journey, I want to invite you to set aside some time this week, every day this week, to find your aremos, to get into it, to prioritize it. And to watch God work in and through you in such a way that it changes everything else. Because guys, if we don't find our homes here, our souls won't find it anywhere. But if we find our souls here, not only will we be at home and at rest, but God will work in and through us to truly love those around us. And we're going to have full meaningful lives, full of purpose and full of passion. So go get along. See you next week.